Today, I want to talk all about your essence, the essence that will help you get paid to be you and do the work that you love. I also want to talk about how you reinvent yourself midway through life and make a complete transition into a new career, a new business, and a new audience without throwing everything away. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, I'm Natalie Sisson, an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, host of this untapped podcast, and a lover of handstands and dogs. I've spent over a decade building successful businesses I love and teaching others to do the same. I want to help you tap into your unlimited potential and make the income and impact you desire simply by being you. In fact, I'm on a mission to help 1,000 women earn at least $10,000 a month and contribute at least 1% of their revenue to causes that they truly care about so that together we can create a ripple effect in this world. So if that sounds like you and you're on board to learn how to make the mindset shifts you need to have the business success you want and the lifestyle that you desire, then this is the podcast for you. My guest today is Juju Hook. For 25 years, she's been a corporate brand strategist. She built a successful boutique agency from scratch and developed a reputation for smart, creative work with solid results. And then at age 48 years old, she found herself overwhelmed by hormonal emotions, underwhelmed and bored by her career that she had mastered but no longer loved. Juju's own tough transition to menopause made her realize that she'd lost herself being a busy CEO, a devoted wife and a helicopter parent to her teenager. So she dug deep and started to reinvent the second part of her life, which looked like closing her agency, intentionally choosing to have an employee-free business and pivoting to serve an entirely new underserved audience of women going through their own midlife transition. In this interview, we discussed how Juju used marketing strategies to build a blog with 50,000 readers and a 6,000 strong email list in just 10 months. The lessons that she learned from a $250,000 course launch that appeared successful but didn't turn a profit. What she was thinking when she gave herself just five years to replace her ad agency income and the strategy she used to successfully hit that goal after just four years. We also talked about the process she uses to tap into her client's brand essence to identify what makes them stand out and how you can go about discovering your essence of influence so you feel confident and you can be compelling with your content and sales messaging. Without further ado, let's dive in. Julia Hook, so wonderful to have you on the Untapped podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Do you prefer Juju or Julia? I prefer Juju. Everyone okay. remembers a Juju. Yeah, I like the Juju. You got the Juju too. So we're going to go with Juju from now on. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. What I'd My pleasure to ask you is how do you tap into your potential and get paid to be you? I tap into my potential by being a candle and a mirror for women in midlife. So essentially I reflect who they can be. So my potential is a reflection of their potential. And it's the most, I think, fulfilling part of a 30-year career. Mm, I love that. I really love that, especially as somebody who likes to show people their potential and often doing it by mirroring what we see of other people. Yeah, right? yeah It's really fascinating. Yeah. But that wasn't obviously the thing that you have done for the whole of your life and whole of your working no. career. So I'd love to know a little bit more about your story because I believe that you've had a super, super successful agency. You've done a lot in your life. So what has led you to this path of now working with 
women in this midlife age and showing them that this is potentially even just the beginning of the next stage of their life. What were you doing before all this? My undergraduate degrees in creative writing, and I started out in marketing in the financial industry and worked my way up to an executive position and branded financial institutions for about 10 years. It was pretty dry. Didn't love the financial industry (laughs) and ended up when I got pregnant with our son in 2000, leaving my job and starting a boutique branding agency for corporate. And so my specialties were banking and automotive. I grew up in the car business. So less dry in that I was running a creative team and in strategy mode all the time, which I loved, but still I did well with it. The advertising world was great for me and great to me, but about 47, 48, I really started to get that feeling of, is this all there is? And it played itself out in all kinds of funny ways. You know, I was escaping in different ways, bottles of Pinot Noir and very overly involved in my teenage son's life and a lot of questions about my relevancy. I lost a major client and I started to think, oh my gosh, is a national player like this going to want someone my age? Are they going to prefer a younger woman? And just really a lot of inconsistency around my level of commitment. So I went to my husband and said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I don't think I want to replace this client. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, you know, I think I want to be a motivational speaker. And neither one of us kind of knew what that looked like, right? He was like, what does that look like? And I said, I don't really know. But if Marie Forleo did it, I think I can do it, right? That's what everybody says. Yeah, everything's uh, figureoutable, right? Yeah, right, of course. (laughs) So he said, how long do you think it'll take you to replace your income from the agency? And I said, I'm going to give myself five years. And I did. That was in May of 2015. So just past the five-year mark. Yeah. And I replaced my income in about year four. So along the way, I decided to teach entrepreneurs to brand. And I came out of the shoot and created an online course for startup entrepreneurs that taught them the basics of brand strategy so they could create their own brands. And then ultimately really just wanted to work with women in midlife, women who were having kind of the same head mess that I was having. <laughs> and so I wrote a book, Hot Flashes, Carpools, and Dirty Martinis, talked to hundreds of women in preparation for that, and ended up working directly directly with women in midlife who are essentially pivoting their mastery. So women who've worked 15, 20 years at something, and they don't want to do it the same way anymore. So mm-hmm. we pivot the mastery to a new way of life, and I just love it. There's so much to unpack in that. So thank you so much, Ajit, for sharing, because... What I actually really love is that the branding piece that you've done for so, so long, you've managed to kind of reinvent yourself, but still come back to something that you obviously have a passion for, but apply it in a completely different niche to a completely different audience and kind of have found this new love of it, right? Would that be fair to say? Yes. Yeah. And I, I love how when often people are thinking of changing career or changing direction completely, there's no need to throw everything out. It's all about like, What's the thing that's going to light you up, I guess, most inside? What's the thing that's going to make you feel like there's a change and a new purpose? But often it's still leaning in on those things that you've built up over that time because they are super valuable experiences and skills that you have. But when you apply them in a whole new light, it's like a whole new love affair and a benefit to a completely different audience. Do you want to talk a little more about how that felt, that sort of five-year transition? And congrats, by the way, on replacing your income. But Did you just like stop everything or did you wind down your agency and start going for more speaking gigs? So I'd love to know about that transition so people can hear and go, okay, cool. This is possible. 
I had a team, a creative team that didn't work full time for my agency. They weren't employees. By the time I shut the agency down, we had been through the 2008, 2009 recession. And so my business model was really set up to be nimble. So, but I did have a team of seven people that were working a lot of hours. And so I kind of attrited them. I, I didn't shut everything down all at once. I let my clients sort of move away. And I would say over about the first eight or nine months, I created an opt-in online. I did B-School. I went to B-School first. That was the first thing I did. I created an opt-in called the anatomy of a brand. And actually I created six or seven opt-ins and I tested them as nice. Facebook ads manager. <laughs> and this particular opt-in really flew. And I built my initial list of about, I'd say six or 7,000 people. And I started a blog and started writing every week, branding advice. And I put up a website, big website, you know, lots of mistakes made, I'll tell you. And I did a Jeff Walker style launch to a webinar and launched a, an online product. And I did all that within, I would say the first 10 months, made some money, wow. but Busy. I didn't make a profit, didn't mm-hmm. make a profit. Okay. But that was kind of how it began. And then when I realized the pull toward the women in midlife, I just started to talk to them. And the question always was, what do you want to do? What is it that you want? And most often women couldn't tell me what they wanted. They hadn't thought about what they'd wanted in forever. They were either very engaged in what everyone else wanted or very engaged in what they thought they should do, what was responsible, what they had earned over time. So as I was writing the book, I thought, well, I'm going to turn away from the branding and I'm going to be a life coach for women in midlife. And it wasn't until it all came together for me that I realized this is what it's all about for them. And so all of the tenets of corporate branding really change when you apply it to personal branding because there's a headpiece there. Mm. There's a mindset piece there. And to put yourself out there and say, I'm the one, you should listen to me, you should read my stuff, you should buy my things, you should, you know, all of these things requires a fair amount of courage. And just to your point around mastery, For these women who've had mastery for 10, 15, 20, 30 years to start over takes so much more courage and so much more energy than to pivot the way we consume it or the way we spend our days. And what I knew was that I craved connection. I wanted to be connected. I wanted to be connected to women. I wanted to talk to women. And I knew that I wanted to feel positively influential. It was important to me that I have a new level of contribution. And so I just leaned into those things and I found a way to deliver my mastery and get those two feelings. And it's just been remarkable. I really enjoy yeah. it. That's a beautiful journey. And I so feel you on the connection point. And I think it's so interesting, isn't it? Like you can build a business where everything's just, like you said, you built this list and you did these launches, but none of that really matters unless you're having those connections and you're hearing and understanding, for me at least, from your clients, from your community, from your customers. That's the bit that I actually crave the most because otherwise you feel you're putting it out there into an ethosphere. And unless you're getting feedback, and it doesn't have to be about you, but feedback on where they're at, how they're doing, how they're progressing, it just, that's the bit that makes it all worthwhile. Just to know that you've got those touch points and that connection. And I think that's what women do incredibly well. And also what a lot of women really, really crave as well. I'm curious to dig into a few things because you sort of just mentioned, you know, I put this opt-ins out. I did a list testing. I got like six or 7,000 on my list. For some people, they're like, what? Tell me how. So I know you've got some awesome stats. So you built a blog with like 50,000 subscribers. You did a quarter of a million dollar course launch, which is 
epic, but it didn't turn I didn't do a quarter of a million dollar launch. I did a quarter of a million dollar sales in my first year. Oh, I see. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And then you said from that you didn't turn a profit. And would you I like did to not speak turn a profit to that? Because that, I'm sure um, I would. I would. Yeah. It's interesting too because I've been in marketing my whole life. So it's both a curse and a blessing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, in hindsight, I think there were a lot of things obviously that I could have done different. But going into the online space, I was bombarded, I think, as most people are with tactics everybody's firing a tactic at you. Mm-hmm. You know, you should do a webinar. You should do this, do a launch this way. You should do Facebook ads. You should have a bot. You should just on and on and on. You should get podcast. You should blah, blah, blah. And so I started where I started with the first thing that came my way, which was a Jeff Walker style launch. It worked really well for me. I think what I really didn't understand was all of the costs going in and the way that I built things. Also, I came from corporate marketing. So the team that I had put together my website And the degree of, I think, production quality that I believed was required initially was way out of whack for what was required. (laughs) I think the other thing was that I didn't plan strategic. I didn't have proof of concept, which is the one thing that I find most of the women that I'm working with don't have. In the online space, there's this kind of feast or famine phenomenon in the beginning. And I think it has so much to do with launching all these different tactics, with searching for the magic bullet. So I had all these tremendous amount of upfront cost and I did bring people in through an opt-in. I got to about a 41 cents per opt-in when I finally got it to the point where I don't think that's very common anymore, but at that time, Facebook ads were an amazing deal. Yeah. And so I bought, once I got six or 7,000 people on the list, I knew that I could get people into a webinar room. Mm-hmm. I wasn't amazing in a webinar room. It was very difficult for me to manage the room it was very difficult for me to pitch. In fact, my first webinar, I had hundreds of people in the room and I pitched and my nephew still teases me. He's an amazing salesperson. And I had my nephew and a friend of mine who worked at a car dealership over to the house. I had a cheese platter, right? I thought we were going to have so many calls. These guys are going to be exhausted, right? Nothing, not a zip, zero. Wow. But what did happen in the week following was that I had an amazing Q&A at the end and I had the email addresses of everybody in the Q&A. And so I ended up reaching out to each person individually and really working the product and understanding what it was they wanted and altering what I was selling. And I ended up with a good amount of money on the first one, but I had so much money going in and I just didn't have a holistic approach initially. I really didn't have a lead to close Mm -hmm. approach. And it took me a long time to figure that out. If someone had sat down and shown me from start to finish, how does this work? And how do you have reliable, consistent income with a product that you've tested? I would have been in a much different situation, but I started in the middle where I think most people start because we're tossed tactics. Yeah, I love that. That's a very, very valid point. And that's why people throwing spaghetti at wall and it's not sticking because they taking so many tactics and trying to apply all of them equally at the same time, rather than, as you said, focus on one or two validate, test, experiment, test again. And then once you've got that going, you can do the next. Because each of these, once you start layering them on top of each other, really does start to work. I don't think it's physically possible as one human being to be able to manage all of them. And that's when you can start building a team and and see which of those are just your natural genius zone and which of those do you just not love. For example, you talked about webinars. Like I love webinars. I come to life in webinars. It's my favorite thing to be I love it now. You do love it now. There you go. And what did it take for you to get to love it? 
results. So I think I knew that I could teach people branding because I had done it forever. And I knew that what I was teaching them was the proper way. I felt really confident about showing people what to do, but I had not experienced the results that they would have from going through the course. And so initially, and I think this is the case with a lot of people who are making online courses or setting things up, the way it's presented is, oh, you know, take something, you know, figure it out, pre-record it. You can teach people how to do it. But there's initially before you experience the results of the people who are going to go through it, you're essentially pushing it. You're persuading. And once I got into a situation where I coached a small number of people to results and I knew that it would work, at that point, I wasn't persuading anymore. I was inviting. And I felt very confident about what would happen if people responded. And that level of confidence comes through. And I think all those tactics are taught to us. Conversion strategies are taught to us around numbers. If you do this much, if you pay this much, you'll get this many people, then this many people will be in the room. And then you can close at X percent and you'll do a follow-up email series and it'll close at X percent. And all of that's fine and well if you feel very confident around sticking your hand out and saying, hey, I've got a solution for you. Come with me, right? Let's do this together. We'll go further faster. But in the beginning, I didn't have that. I felt like a huckster. And because it didn't sound legit, And so people didn't buy into it. In the week after the webinar, when I really got a chance to talk to people and talk to them on the phone and talk to them about their business, then they were convinced that I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And as my webinars continued, I would say it took me a couple of years to be really good at webinars. Mm -hmm. And I am still much better live in a room than I am in a webinar because I benefit from a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So when I can see people's faces and watch their heads nod and feel the energy in the room, I'm much more confident and much more nimble, much more agile. And in webinar rooms, kind of like shouting into a dark hole. But these are all things you don't know unless you have somebody sort of take you through step by step. You don't know that stuff and you don't know why it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I love the point that you made that so much of the stuff takes a lot longer than people think because it it is about building on your confidence, your results and that iteration and trying again and changing things until you're at a point where for sure you can take somebody's methodology or take their strategy and tactics, but you've always got to make it your own. And one of those is like the Jeff Walker product launch. I've done it, used it before, partly using his method and partly using my own and it worked super well. And then I went all in one time and did it exactly as he did it. And it completely bombed for me because it wasn't my style. It wasn't true to my authentic self. And a little bit like you said before about when you built up the super fancy website because you come from that corporate marketing background and you felt that was where it needed to be. I've done a lot of those things as well. You know, spent a lot more money on to make something look super professional when my audience and my community and the people who know me just know me as down to earth, like natural, super transparent, honest. Yeah, you erode your trust, don't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's really important for people who are listening to know is like, whatever you do, whatever strategy or tactic, it's going to take longer. It's probably going to cost you more, but you've got to apply your own style and personality to it and your own unique way of doing it because then it will be more authentically you. So take the things and the tried and true methods that work because there's no point in repeating everything or trying it yourself, but add your own authentic, unique ingredients. And that's the thing that I think is going to make it so much more pleasurable. The first time I had a webinar that really sold, where I I closed it at 10% in the room and then I closed at 10% after, was I had someone interview me through my webinar because I knew I was good in a conversation. 
And if you have mastery in your subject, like I felt really confident in my subject. So I didn't feel that I needed to memorize a script, but I did need to understand where my transitions were. Mm. And I needed that confidence. I needed that interplay. So I had a colleague, I had a friend who I had met in a mastermind. He was an e-com expert and I helped him with his brand. So he understood my system and he interviewed me through it. And it was a really nice back and forth interchange. And he was a real money conversion guy. So he was constantly asking all these results questions and money questions and conversion questions. And it just elevated the level of conversation. I was so confident answering them. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have been confident saying, this will get you this and this will get you this. And the results were just so amazing. And then I ran that webinar on Evergreen for some time, probably four or five months and used it to sell product that way. Nice. Do you think that knowing all the numbers and all the stats and all the conversions, which if I'm going to be really honest, is definitely more from a male dominated industry where internet marketing in particular, that's what a lot of men, and I'm not saying all, but often are really geared towards. Whereas that's why you see so many more women with these heart-centered businesses trying to offer it up in a different way. Do you feel that you need to know all the numbers or do you feel there's also a certain amount of trusting your gut and intuition and going with the energy that you have? Do you feel there's a balance there or that some of these things are really important? I think you need to be realistic about what it takes to sell something. I think a lot of the tactics that are taught to us are big conversion tactics. In other words, they're tactics that work with massively big numbers. Mm -hmm. And until we have those massively big numbers, if you apply those tactics to smaller lists, you don't get the results that you want. And I don't know that we always make that jump in understanding So one of the things, like, for instance, I have a group of women called The Cut that I lead. 15 women, we stay together for nine months and we work that whole system, that end-to-end sales system from the first lead until closing. And when it gets to webinar, I always have women tell me initially what they think is going to happen in the webinar. And it's based on that gut, right? It's like, I'm going to get 15 new clients. And I have to back up and say, okay, if you nail it, right? If we slam it, you need 150 people in that room to get 15 new clients and to get 150 people in the room, you need 600 people to sign up. And in order for 600 people to sign up, it's going to cost five or 10 bucks to get every single one of them in the room, or you're going to have to go on a podcast tour. You're going to have to. So I think some level of realism about what it takes to fill a room and then sell a room is required. I think all the ins and outs of how we convert and and those more technical numbers related strategies. I don't know that that's ever going to be the job of the heart-centered entrepreneur. Being an amazing internet marketer is not the same thing as being an amazing coach or an amazing guide or an amazing thought leader. It's it's two entirely different skill sets. So I think you have to know it enough to hire well yeah, and know it enough to be realistic <laughs> about your expectations. But I don't think you have to be an amazing internet marketer to run a business well on the internet. Yeah, I love it. Thanks so much for saying that, Juju. And I also loved how you broke out all those numbers because they were exactly the ones that I was thinking through in my mind. But that's come from years, right? Years of learning and applying and running these things to know what you need to work backwards from. And exactly for people listening at this point going, oh my God, that stuff all sounds like, eh, then that's the perfect thing that you hire for. You hire somebody in who can help you with that so you can stay in your zone of genius and do the coaching and do the educating and do the speaking and do the things that you want. Although I still feel that it's really important to know your numbers in business, the real key numbers and metrics yes. that move the needle. So you know how much is coming in, how much your expenses are and how much your profit is 
pretty big, like so that we don't end up in a similar experience like you had and I've had with launches and things as well as just that overspending and not really gearing up for profit. And I wish that people would talk about profit more because there's a lot, so much talk around about, about the six revenue. and the seven figures. Yes, revenue, revenue. I'm guilty of it. I've done it too. Like oh it's, a, it's an exciting thing to reach for, right? But I would far prefer to have a million dollar profit business than a million dollar revenue. Obviously, I think most people would. And I remember distinctly a guy who came along to one of my retreats in Bali several years ago, and he said that he'd made a million dollars in e-commerce. And everybody was like, ooh, ah. And he said, yeah, but I want to let you know the secret here 1% profit and everybody just kind of did this double take it was really lovely that he was super honest but I was like how the heck did that happen and he talked about these spiraling costs and not enough leverage within the products that he was selling and all the infrastructure and so it looked super successful on the outside but it was a hot mess on the inside and so I think it's really important to focus on your profit. I think that revenue number associated with lifestyle as well so for instance Mm. I've really been thinking about how I want to scale right now. I'm almost 54. And well, you look like 24. So there you go. That's nice. Thank you for saying that. But (laughs) I don't want to be a CEO. Mm. I don't want that. And so I could scale revenue. And if I scale revenue, then I can scale expenses along with it in terms of a team and all these different things. But I I won't be spending my day anymore doing what I want to do. I'll be spending my day managing people who are managing functions. And what I really want to do is spend my day talking to women who are amazing. So for me, there's this real balancing act right now of how far can I go with this? I've thought about, do I bring on some type of an ops manager and let the ops manager run all that? And then how far do I have to scale in order to pay that ops manager? And do Mm -hmm. I end up in exactly the same place? Do I add on all these things, right, and some kind of passive income and all these things that everybody's talking about, or do I stay exactly where I am right now, which is in a beautiful spot? I have 15 women that I take nine or 10 months together, and then I have usually five or six women who I coach privately in my orbit, and so I got about 20 women at any one time Mm -hmm. in my life whose businesses I'm holding space for, and I love it. So I think these questions about revenue as it relates to net profit, we also have to talk about revenue as it relates to lifestyle and what is it that you want to do? Because not everybody wants to scale through staff and not everybody wants to spend ad dollars and not everybody has cash flow, which is another thing nobody talks about too, right? It's very easy to have a million dollars in revenue and go broke because you don't have any cash flow. And cash is king. And so you're right. It's the number one thing that I would say to women when they first start that the very first person you need to pay is somebody who can help you with your numbers, somebody who can help you understand, are you making money or not? And why not? So yeah, I think that revenue number, those revenue numbers are always really tricky. And I was in a mastermind for a while. I was in Russell Brunson's mastermind for two years with all kinds of, definitely was a bro marketing club, right? There was a lot of (laughs) young guys in that group that were all about the numbers, but all the discussion was around revenue. It was always around revenue. And it just made you wonder, hmm, I wonder how much everybody's really making. Yeah. Interesting. They didn't have those candid conversations there and to talk about that. I also love the lifestyle factor because when you really look at, and you know, way back in the day when Tim Ferriss wrote his book and he put out his kind of dream lifestyle spreadsheet that you could work around what is the lifestyle income that you want to make to be able to travel the world, to be able to go off and have fun and adventures. How many hours do you want to work a week? 
where do you want to be spending your free time? And for me, I've always thought about how does this business serve others and help them to grow their business and their income and their impact, but also how does it give you more freedom? How does it allow you to work a 15 or 20 hour week and be earning enough that you feel you can live comfortably, enjoy your life, but also that you can invest in others, that you can invest in causes that you care about and that you can simply just enjoy that time off as carefree time, not worrying. That's financial security. And I think that's also in some ways mindset security around, I got this. I don't need to be pushing. I don't need to be striving. Ease and grace and flow right now is my mantra and everything. So whenever I'm not feeling that, I just literally start repeating it to myself. And then I can step back and go, cool, where was I pushing? Or where did I feel like I needed to strive? And it's been miraculous actually because I'm just always in this really nice place of flow and fun and ease and joy and it makes business way more fun and also just makes life more fun. It does too and I think when you're when we're in touch with purpose I talk to women a lot about their essence because I have a lot of women who will say well I don't want to be out in front with my brand because I don't really have anything to brand. Yeah. I don't have a differentiator. And we're all born with essence the same way that there's an essence to a bottle of wine or a bottle of perfume, right? Like everybody's got a concentrated flavor. And when you combine that with purpose, there's a real ease and flow to it. This is what I'm meant to do, what I'm really good at. These are my gifts. This is my purpose. And this is how it naturally works for me. When you combine those two things, everything gets so much easier. And when we put on and we strive and we push and we have all this expectation around what people want or what we think people should get from us, then it becomes a different kind of tedious. Mm -hmm. And so my husband and I, we've had this, what we call the endless summer plan for a long time. Our son's just now gotten in university now hasn't actually gone away. So he's in university in the house, right? (laughs) Nobody nobody (laughs) planned for this. Yeah. But our deal is to live three months at a time in cities all around the world where it's always summer. Mm. and just go from summer, 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 summer. And we've practiced and we're ready and we have a little plane. So we'll fly and take adventures and all this stuff. But everything about my business has been around that. So at what point can I have a mastermind for women where I can say, hey, we'll be in Barcelona this quarter and we'll be in Costa Rica next quarter. And midlife women can travel together and they can do adventures and all these things. COVID really changed through a wrench and all of that. But I, I know it'll still come. Yeah, I love that. I really love it because I feel like that's what I did for so many years as a suitcase entrepreneur was just chase endless summits, which is amazing. I really appreciate the seasons now, but one thing that Josh and I have been doing for the last few years is also taking the winter and usually heading to warmer climates and having a business and a lifestyle that allows you to do that is to me like worth way more than any six or seven figure revenue. It is. It is. Yes, I agree. I I agree. Just before we finish up, because I know we could chat on a bunch of things, but I'd love to know a little bit more about your method for helping women find their brand essence. And obviously I'll share that back to you and they can come and find out more about you. But just for people who are listening, who are like, yeah, yeah, I want some of that. I want my unique fragrance. I want that beautiful combination. I love the way you said that. What are some of the things they can start to do or think about? Maybe not all the tactics, but just some of the things that you take these wonderful clients through yourself. So the first thing that I take my clients through is what I call the essence of influence. So most women are the most nervous or feel the least confident about how to show up consistently all the time. But what am I supposed to talk about? And there's this belief that everybody needs to be in a state of constant content creation. 
And so what I take women through is what's a comfortable way for you to show up? What's your essence of influence? So for some women, it's, oh, I'm a scientist. And so when I show up online or in my podcast or in my book, I'm going to basically bring everybody the data. I'm going to show people the data. I'm going to share this. For some women are reporters. Some women are activists. Some women are subversives, right? They're essentially upending things. And so I have an assessment that I take women through. I have it as a download. You can put the link in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, it's called The Essence of Influence. And it really has to do with where you feel most comfortable. It's almost like putting on a superhero outfit, Mm -hmm. right? Like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) go to the web today. I'm going to put on my coat, put my lab coat, right? And then I can show up and I can feel confident that way. I don't have to be an expert in everything. So I start there. I also talk to women a lot about their gifts and I hear a lot of women really pressured around this tactical issue that we talked about earlier. I need to do Facebook lives. I need to have a podcast. I got to be on Instagram. I'm dancing on TikTok and all these different things. And that's not, it doesn't I never serve made it you. to TikTok, thankfully. No, I haven't either. I haven't either. But it doesn't serve you. What serves you is to know your gifts and play to them. So I started as a writer. And when I came online, I was a blogger and it suited me. And that's part of your essence. So there's gifts and there's temperament. We're born with our temperaments, all these different aspects of essence. And when we combine those with what we were talking about earlier, which is purpose and service, I think one of the things that people lose sight of is that attraction is singular. We have this idea that we're normatively attractive, like this is an attractive person or this is an attractive person. And it doesn't work that way. It works that I'm attracted to you, you're attracted to me. And people can only be attracted to you if they can see the whole you. If you don't show up completely, if you don't give them your essence, they don't know how to make a choice. And so I really encourage women to, you got to show up. You got to feel comfortable showing up completely as you are, being totally visible and knowing that you'll attract the people who want what you have. And that's the beauty of the way the world works. That's actual, actually happens for every one of them. Mm -hmm. So that's really how the process starts. And then we work that into brand story. And like we talked about, that results factor, the secret sauce factor, the Mm -hmm. what's my recipe for those results. And then how do I bring leads in consistently all the way to how do I close sales? And I think over the course of nine or 10 months, they really nail how to run a business Mm -hmm. in a way that feels good. Sounds like very, very worthy work to do. So on that note, because I definitely want to take the assessment, I'm curious to see, do you have an idea, given that you created the assessment, what you think my style is? Like I have an idea, but I'd love to know what your criteria is. I'm guessing that you're maybe a little bit of a correspondent because you're talking to people all the time. So you're kind of bringing people to the news, bringing people to the experts. But I also sense that you have a champion in you, that you're championing for other people. You're pulling for everyone else. And so I'm sort of guessing you have a crossover and you'll mm-hmm. see that some of the, when you download it, you'll see, I asked for a, you to get a primary score and a secondary score. So I have an authority side to me because of my mastery, but then I have this real sort of champion for women kind of thing. And you can lean on one or another at any time, right? Yeah. yeah. So Thanks so much, Juju. I'm excited. And yeah, for pleasure. all the people listening, where is the best place for them to obviously grab that assessment, but learn more about you? So the assessment is at free.primetimejuju.com. <laughs> Love it. And that's why I call midlife is prime time. And then you can always find me at jujuhook.com. 
Perfect. Easy. I love that. You got the great name in there. It's easy to remember <laughs> and the great last name to hook people in. Perfect. Well, yeah, yeah, you. yeah. I was born with that one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show and for bringing the wisdom you. and for sharing your story. And yeah, it's been a blast. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Juju. I know that she had a lot to share and a ton of experience. And I love talking about reinventing yourself and going into the next phase of your life and finding your purpose on this podcast. That is, to me, the essence of how are you tapping into your potential, getting paid to be you, and making the income and impact that you desire, and living the life that you really want. So remember to head across to free.primetimejuju, that's J-U-J-U.com, to do that assessment. Otherwise, head across to nataliesisson.com forward slash podcast because every single episode under the sun is right there for you. And this is episode 83. So just search for that or Juju Hook and you'll be sure to find it on my website. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you want to tap into your potential and get paid to be you, don't forget that I have a pretty awesome PDF guide with 10 ways to make the income and impact you desire. So I've literally broken down 10 different ways that you can monetize yourself in this book from coaching and consulting through to online courses and more. And you can get it for free at nataliesisson.com forward slash impact. Now I want you to go and have an amazing freaking day and just go and be you. You do you.